You're listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast. With Karen Butler, Senior Editor. Brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Karen Butler. Joining me on the phone today is Scott Bush, President of Probiotic Consulting. Scott has more than 30 years of executive experience in the high-growth probiotics industry, including having led the global probiotic business at DuPont and serving as Vice President of Marketing over Danisco's probiotic supplement business. He's a past president and past vice president of the International Probiotics Association and currently serves on IPA's Board of Directors. Scott, thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So, Scott, it's safe to say that you were well ahead of the curve when you started your career in probiotics. It must have been exciting to see them start gaining traction through the years. Yeah, the last several several decades have, have been very exciting, both not just in the growth of the industry, but in the substantiation of clinical benefits, the adoption by the consumer. Uh, when I began in this industry, the, the supplement market in, in, in general had a bad reputation. It was strong marketing, but not always strong science. And, and it was always my fear that probiotics would get branded with that, that same sort of a tagline of, of good marketing, but not such good science. And I think we've, we've proven that wrong. We've, we've invested heavily by a lot of companies in, in clinical work. Uh, we've proven benefits, shown benefits of probiotic cultures, continue to show benefits, continue to discover new and exciting probiotic strains. So yeah, it's been an exciting journey, but um, there's a lot more to come. I agree. What was your background when you first entered the industry? I had an undergraduate degree in food science and an MBA in finance from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And there happened to be a, a local company in town that was owned by Miles Laboratories, who was owned by Bayer at that point. And the company had been producing dairy cultures for quite some time and had just constructed a freeze-dry plant next to their fermentation facility. So my first job coming out of college was to fill that fermentation plant, and the first business I got us into was probiotic supplements. Well done. Scott, where's the U.S. probiotics market today in terms of maturation? Well, if we measure maturation by rate of growth, then we're certainly seeing a maturing market. We've gone from earlier in this decade seeing growth upwards of 20 to 30% to now seeing growth in the single-digit percentages. So, so we've definitely, definitely seen some maturation of the market. If you also measure maturation by um, actions of players in the industry, I think we can also say there's been some maturity. You know, we're starting to see a lot more differentiation of products where companies can't just rely on the overall market growth to represent their own growth. Um, we're having to see them, we're seeing them fighting for, for market share as the pie isn't growing as fast and people are all fighting for their piece of it. You know, we're seeing differentiation in terms of therapeutic areas that are being looked at. We're seeing differentiation in terms of um, strain offering. We're seeing differentiation in terms of livery vehicles. Um, we're also seeing some consolidation, some merger and ac acquisition activity in the industry. So I think there's a number of reasons we can look at the market and say, yeah, there's definitely some maturation of the U.S. probiotic industry. But you still believe there's a lot of room for growth. Yeah, I think there's room for growth, and, and, and the reason I, I say that is because um, there's several reasons, really. First, I, I don't think the medical community has fully bought into uh, the health benefits of probiotics, and mm -hmm. so 
I think there's room to grow in terms of convincing the, the healthcare provider that there is a benefit for probiotics and that more consumers should be taking them for maybe a wider variety of indications than, than what we've seen with strictly or largely GI health so far. So I think there's room for growth in terms of um, HCP endorsement, which should lead to greater consumer adaptation of, uh, of the category. Um, I also think there's a second win in the industry due to all the focus on microbiome. So we're, you know, we're really in the infancy of microbiome research, but a lot of that is related to microorganisms in the gut, um, on the skin, and other parts of the body. And so to me, this has given a second win to this industry. We're seeing new strains. We're seeing strains that maybe can deliver new benefits or, or better benefits than the current um, range of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria. So while we've seen some growth and uh, some slowing of growth in the U.S. market, I, I believe there's a lot of room to continue to grow. Yeah, I would agree. A lot of that's going to hinge on the, the ongoing science behind the microbiome, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely going to hinge on that. Like I said, I think that, that whole category is given a second win to, to probiotics in general. I do think there's some um, you know, lack of differentiation. People are using those terms somewhat synonymously, and they probably shouldn't be. But I think overall, the, the focus on, on new microorganisms that are being discovered and new health benefits will certainly lead to growth in probiotics, whether we call it probiotics or, or whether some people confuse that with microbiome. Um, either way, I think it'll be good for the probiotic industry. Mm-hmm. Agree. Well, you've seen a lot of offerings come on the market through the years. How have the products that are out there changed? Yeah, there's been, there's been a, number, a number of changes. I mean, probably the first one and the biggest one is, is the clinical documentation behind probiotic formulations. When I first got into the industry 30 years ago, there was very little science, and, and a lot of the science that was done was pretty basic and not necessarily done in randomized controlled trials. So we've definitely seen you know, a vast improvement in both the quantity of science and the quality of science that's done. Also seen a, a, an increase in the number of strains that are offered. We've seen, a, a, in some cases, large increases in the potency of strains that are offered. When I first got in the industry, you know, most formulations were one, two, or three strains with a potency of, you know, one to five billion. Now, now we see, we still see single strain formulations, which are very effective, but we also see multi-strain formulations up to as many as 14, 16, 20 strains. We see potencies that go up uh, into the hundreds of billions. So, so some real changes in terms of potency, in terms of strain offer, in terms of documentation of benefits, and in terms of players in the industry. You know, we've seen huge changes in, in you know, who's in the market as, as suppliers. You know, we've typically, we've, you think of Chris Hansen and DuPont as long-term players in the industry, but recently we've seen uh, ADM get in the business, DSM get in the business, Novozyme get in the business. So, you know, uh, a lot of changes happening. Yeah, as the landscape changes, are there particular challenges that you see of the companies that are bringing in maybe some of the newer probiotic strains? Well, there's certainly challenges in companies that are working with, with what gets tabbed as next-generation probiotics. And, and these are strains that have come out of the, the microbiome research. And I use the term probiotics, but until they're shown to actually have a benefit, that's probably premature to use that term for them. Mm. But, yeah, either Fecalobacterium, Acromantia, there's a number of different genera of bacteria that are being discovered um, that are very much strict anaerobes. So they don't grow as easily as the more facultative microorganisms that the industry is used to supplying, the lactobacilli and the bifidobacteria. They're much harder to stabilize. So 
So there's real challenges, even if we prove health benefits of, of some of these next generation probiotics, there's challenges in terms of producing them and getting them in a stable form to the consumer. Yes, Scott, you've been mentioning um, a lot of the challenges that industry itself, we who are in probiotics, uh, kind of navigating that changing landscape. I imagine it must be pretty uh, tumultuous for consumers, too, who are, I believe, largely much more aware of probiotics than they were, of course, a decade ago, even five years ago. But how's industry doing in terms of educating consumers and helping keep them up on all the the increase in science and the different strains and the CFU counts? Give us a report yeah, card on that. That's a great question. And, 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 and I still feel like there's a lot of confusion at the consumer level in trying to sort through which product, which strains, which health mm -hmm. benefits, what level of substantiation is there or, or isn't there for certain products. And so um, to me, we're, we're, we're really just getting started on the education pipeline. I think the first phase of education was just getting consumers to understand the term probiotics and if these were something that were good for you. And, and I think that really started in, in full force in the U.S. when, when Danone put um, Jamie Lee Curtis on TV. And yeah. you know, at, at, at that point, you know, my mother or my brother, who I don't really think knew what I was doing for a living, actually started taking <laughs> probiotics. And, and so, um, you know, we, we've, we've put them on the map. Consumers now know the term, but I still think there's a lot of confusion. And I think one of the best ways to to, to combat that confusion is to really start educating better the, the healthcare provider, the HCP. You know, mm -hmm. I think that, that doctors and dietitians, nutritionists, homeopaths, naturopaths, chiropractors, professionals that consumers turn to for advice, um, I, I think is a more manageable step in terms of where we go next in terms of educating uh, people about probiotics. And, and so I think these influencers can, can pay a, play a significant role. And we're having trouble even educating that, that group of people. I, too often mm -hmm. I, I hear when, a, uh, asked when, when someone asks a doctor if they're taking a, a, a antibiotic, what should they take with it? And the doctor will say, well, eat some yogurt or take a probiotic. But there's no specific recommendation of a strain, and there's no specific recommendation to take a yogurt, take a yogurt that's even got probiotics in it. So, you know, I think there's, there's still a real challenge in educating the professional community, the, the healthcare providers, in terms of not just what are probiotics, I think they understand that, but which probiotics should be recommended, which are well documented, and then how can the consumer go to a shelf and, and find that out? And so, um, you know, to me, we've, you know, for 10 years, we've done a great job of educating the, uh, the consuming public about what probiotics are, but now I think we really need to work on the healthcare provider and, and via them, the consumer, in terms of which probiotics to take for, for which therapeutic areas. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I've, I've seen um, three different types of practitioners of the last few months, and they all said, oh, take a, pro a probiotic. And I said, well, what strain? Well, how, how many CFUs? Like, and the, it, just, it was just, oh, take a probiotic. And I thought, oh, boy, we are, we are falling short. I, as a consumer, I'm, not, I'm in the industry, and I'm not 100%. And then I've got providers who are just telling me to take one, which is good, of course, but could use a little more guidance. Yeah, it's unfortunate that probiotics, for, for their good and their bad, all get lumped together. If there's, if there's a <laughs> negative study that comes out, it isn't that this particular formulation didn't perform well, it's probiotics don't do well. Or yeah. if there's a positive publication that comes out or press release, um, you know, it's, it's a probiotic did this or a probiotic did that. But, but to me, that's no different than lumping all, all drugs together and saying, 
this pharmaceutical product did this, and that makes all pharmaceutical products good for that particular uh, indication or bad for that indication if, if, if there's some, some negative side effects. And I'm not sure how best we get around this lumping all probiotics together, but, but it's a real challenge for the industry, both in terms of if there's something negative, we all get a black eye. If there's mm-hmm. something positive, how do you differentiate the fact that there is a product that maybe shows something, um, but, but how do we keep the, the physicians and the healthcare providers and the, and the public from, from just assuming everything that's a probiotic will give that same benefit? Right, right, same uh, age-old struggle, I guess, in the industry. O- Omega-3s come to mind. I know they've uh, worked very hard to educate uh, and come against the negative press that's been out there. Yeah, but at least with, at least with Omega-3s, you're, you're talking about you know, a molecule. And so mm-hmm. EPA or DHA, while there may be levels that differ from products, and it's important to understand you know, what's been studied and what could, should be consumed, EPA is still EPA as far as I understand, and so is DHA. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with probiotics, we've, we've got literally hundreds of different microorganisms by genus, species, and strain. And so, to me, I don't know if I can think of another comparable situation in the health industry where we've got such a huge range of products offering a huge range of benefits that all tend to get lumped into one category, that being probiotics. Yeah, good point. Um, I'm interested what you think about the the nomenclature changes with lactobacillus coming up. Well, I think scientifically it it makes perfect sense. The the genus has gotten far too broad in terms of, um, you know, the organisms that that it represents. And so, you know, there will be some confusion for several years, and and then we'll work our way through it. You know, we've we've had nomenclature changes in the past, maybe not as extensive as this one. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And, of course, it's hard for companies that have to relabel um, redo literature, et cetera. But, you know, five, 10 years from now, we'll, we'll have made our way through it and, and look back and say, yeah, okay, it was a little bit of a hurdle, but but we're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Scott, what excites you the most about the future of probiotics? You know, there's there, there's a couple things that excite me a lot. One, you know, one is there's just so, such large room for continued growth. And as some of the points I made before in terms of educating the healthcare provider about which probiotics deliver which benefits were still to me in the infancy there. Um, so a lot of room to grow. Um, the use of probiotics for new therapeutic areas, both traditional probiotics as well as next generation probiotics, where we're seeing some impact on metabolic syndrome, we're seeing impact on skin health and, and other therapeutic areas, which is, which is really exciting. Um, you know, new technologies that'll help us launch these next generation probiotics in terms of how we stabilize them, how we grow them, how we deliver them to the consumer. But to me, there's just there's just so much room for growth in this category. Um, and the other thing that's exciting is there is good science being done. I know that sometimes the industry gets a black eye if there's a negative or a null study. But my biggest fear for probiotics when I was growing up in the industry was that there'd be a flash in the pan like we've seen with some other nutraceutical products where they're the hot um, supplement du jour for a year or two, and then they fall, you know, fall flat after after that. And I've seen that happen several times in this industry. And I always feared that for probiotics, but I think, you know, we're doing really good science. We're working on educating. Um, so I think the industry is doing the things it needs to do. And, and I think it's it's going to mean a, a very bright future for us. Yes, I love the optimism. Um, you and I had talked separately. I thought it was very interesting your comment about the pharmatization of the industry. Can you share your perspective on that? 
Yeah, as, as the companies that brand probiotics to the consumer has changed, you know, we, we've gone from sort of very traditional dietary supplement type customers that when I was starting out in the industry were largely, you know, privately owned, owned by families. Um, you know, we're seeing that change. And now we're seeing large, fast-moving consumer goods and consumer healthcare companies enter the industry. And just in, in, in the U.S., for instance, you look at some of the top probiotic products and you've got Procter & Gamble and you've got Bayer. And these sorts of major um, players are, are risk-averse companies. And so, you know, when, when they look to put a probiotic on the market, they're going to make sure they put a product out there that's got, you know, strong level of clinical documentation behind it, that's produced in high quality, and that the statements that they make with regard to health benefits of the product are, are definitely backed up by the science. And so, you know, what we're seeing, what I call the pharmatization of the industry, is not that probiotics are necessarily being marketed, you know, at drug levels in terms of the level of science and level of production, but they're getting closer to that. And, and the sorts of companies that I mentioned before, the buyers and the proctors and gambles and others, you know, when they come in and, and look at a probiotic supplier, you know, they tend to look through pharma-like glasses. And so it's raising the standards in the industry, um, which maybe makes it tough on some smaller players, but I think overall it's great for the category. Um, you know, it, it, it brings confidence to the category. And, uh, you know, these same companies that I'm talking about are companies that now, you know, advertise on TV, whereas 20 years ago you never saw a probiotic ad on TV. You heard some on the radio, but that mm -hmm. was about it. So these companies, you know, while they have bigger expectations from the industry, they also offer us a lot of potential in terms, in terms of uh, consumer penetration. Yeah, there's an advantage to to those smaller startups, though, as well, in terms of being more nimble or, um, you know, the ability to, to navigate more quickly, don't you think? No, I, def I definitely think that's the case. And, and I think in some cases, some of the smaller startups maybe will go to a producer that, that does have high-quality standards. Mm. And so, you know, while the small, nimble company can do the really good science, um, you know, they, they may not have the, uh, the horsepower to invest in, in fermentation, for instance, right. um, and then manufacture probiotics. So, so there's no reason that you can't couple um, high standards for manufacturing with a nimble startup. It just depends on where you go to have product produced, where you go to have product packaged. Um, and, and there are a lot of companies that meet those standards, both fermentation companies and contract manufacturing organizations. So, yeah, it's not to take away from the small, nimble company. In fact, a lot of the innovation, to me, um, comes from those sorts of companies, but in terms of the pharmatization of the industry, you know, it, it perhaps means that you know the partners they choose for the manufacturing and the contract manu manufacturing organizations for um, for packaging, the fermentation and the packaging, need to you know be of a very high level. Mm -hmm. Beauty of the industry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Scott, any parting thoughts you'd like to mention? You've you've been at this a while. Um, your perspective is great. I appreciate it. Anything we didn't touch on? Um. No, I think I think I think just maybe just in conclusion, just you know this this is this is a great category. It's it's an exciting category. You know I, I've seen it evolve over 30 years, but I think 30 years from now somebody's going to look back and say, hey, in 2019 we've really come a long way since then from where from mm. where we were. So mm -hmm. um, you know while while the changes have been immense in in my career in the industry. I think that we're going to look back in the future and say that we've continued to make, you know, significant changes and improvements, um, and it's going to be good for all of us that are, that are in the probiotic market. Yes, I agree. That's great. 
Well, Scott, thank you again for taking your time to share your perspective today. We sure wish you all the best. Thank you. My pleasure. And for our audience, if you'd like more information about probiotics, we have several great opportunities coming up at Supply Side West in Las Vegas, held at Mandalay Bay. The IPA Probiotics Resource Center will be open Thursday and Friday, October 17th and 18th during exhibit hall hours. And the Extending Your Reach in the Probiotics Space workshop, produced in conjunction with IPA, takes place Saturday, October 19th from 8.30 to 11.30. If you'd like more information about Supply Side West or to register, you can visit SupplySideWest.com. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to Insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the health and nutrition industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud account. This episode has been brought to you by Supply Side West, October 15th through the 19th in Las Vegas.